This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Alyssa Knox, the reader, a femme and a night shift ICU nurse. She lives in Chicago with her cat, Dorothy. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here. Also, I realized I just put my oar in a little bit in your bio because it says a queer femme, and I was like, all femmes are queer. That's what the word femme means. <laughs> I will be editing this for like my own little pet project, and it's just like, I can probably relax about that. I mean... It's a good edit. I accept it. Yeah. It's for queer people. That's what it is. It's like saying Absolutely. you're a queer bear. It's like, goes without saying. Clearly. Apparently, apparently that's what's on my mind. Uh, I did also just briefly open Twitter and see that somebody shared that Ron Paul apparently delivered Selena. Um, and it was like, I, I also didn't know what to do with that information. And so I just went with that. I really don't know what to do with that information at all. I mean, it's it's barely information, right? Like, it's it's just like a collection of words that don't have really any intrinsic meaning. But the the OBGYN who delivered Selena was Ron Paul. And I think we should all just, like, take a moment of silence to consider what that might mean for the rest of us. That's feels a long big enough. question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That feels like that was enough. Um, how you doing? How, how was your latest night shift? Um, my latest night shift was good. Uh, it was actually last night. A little bit busy here and there. We're kind of short-staffed on and off. So that's always a, a thing. That sounds about right. That's like roughly my guess of, of what things are like staff-wise. Very short. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully this will be uh, less stressful than a standard night shift. And um, if nothing else, like people are free to disregard our advice. So you don't have to feel personally responsible for any outcomes. Not that you should. Anyways. That will be a relief. Good, good. Well, I'm really, really glad that you um, were willing to come on and, and help me tackle some of these. And so I will read our first letter so that we can immediately get into it. Subject is missing my best friend. My best friend of 20 years lost her boyfriend of five years suddenly before Christmas 2021. He'd had health issues for years, but a fatal diagnosis was overlooked until a few days before his death. I helped her with the funeral, texted and called with love until February 2022. My bachelorette party was in January, and she told me she couldn't handle going. I told her I respected that, and I felt that it was a good choice and that she needed time to grieve. But then my wedding was in February, and she didn't come. Worse than not coming, she didn't text or email or call or send a gift. There was no acknowledgement of my marriage. This was a short four-month engagement, so it's not like this was someone she knew well, and I would have understood if she was too sad to come, but I expected her to tell me. I kept looking for her during the wedding, thinking that I overlooked her. I figured she might be quietly in the back row, and maybe I didn't notice, but she wasn't there. I asked my friends and family, and I felt and still feel awful. I hate seeing her in pain. She only writes on social media about how she misses her partner, but I'm also really upset that she wasn't there for me and in an event that will hopefully be once in my entire life. After the wedding, I stopped reaching out to see if she needed anything. It really hurt me. Should I be forgiving? Am I selfish for expecting her to acknowledge my wedding, or is it okay to be hurt? I want to mention that she's also been flaky in the past. 
When she used to struggle with her career or life, she'd take two weeks to answer my text messages or reply to a birthday party invitation at 10 p.m. the night of. She would be fine for a few years and then waffle. I just assumed that a wedding would be different. My family feels this is in line with her history and tells me to forget her because she doesn't care about me, but it still hurts. Am I being selfish and should put her needs first and keep seeing if she's okay or should I move on? There's so much in this one about like whether to assign somebody else the category of caring about me or not caring about me that I want to encourage this letter writer to kind of take a step back. I can understand why your relatives feel protective of you, but I, I really don't know that even her her previous like pre-bereavement flakiness can be chalked up to she does care or she doesn't care. Like she has a history of flakiness and avoidance that has sometimes hurt you and that you don't always like, but that isn't necessarily in itself an indicator that she doesn't care. It seems like a likelier explanation is she has a tendency to get avoidant when she feels overwhelmed. My guess is she also feels somewhat ashamed of it. That doesn't mean you have to like it or that you can't object to it. Just I think there's almost a sort of like protective barrier in saying like, you know what? All that just means she didn't really give a shit. Because there's something protective about that, right? It can mean like, well, then I don't really have to think of this friendship as a loss. I can just say she never really cared about me, so I haven't really lost anything. So I don't even have to be sad now. I can just say good riddance instead of letting yourself actually grieve. Does that feel reasonable? Like I'm psychoanalyzing everyone here a little too much? No, that seems pretty reasonable. And then the other thing that really jumped out at me was this like dichotomy between should I be forgiving or is it okay to be hurt? And I really thought it was both here. Mm-hmm. Like it's understandable to be hurt by your friend not showing up for you, but the friend also has probably the best reason in the world to not go to a wedding. Yeah, and I you know, I I really understand why it hurt the letter writer. It just also seems to me like maybe especially because you were worried about asking her a question during her bereavement, you felt like you couldn't even say, hey, I want you to either RSVP one way or the other to my wedding. But it feels like so much of this relationship has devolved into if she's not going to bring something up, I'm not going to bring something up. If she's not going to discuss it, I'm not going to discuss it. If she doesn't say what she's thinking, I won't ask. And again, that's not to say letter writer that you don't have a right to feel hurt or that you've done something hideously wrong. Just like, I think you've been so afraid of the answer that you might get or so afraid of saying the wrong thing. You have erred on the side of like not expressing your feelings to someone you love deeply. I think that's a big part of why this hurt has been compounded. So I think give yourself a little bit of time, sure, but to maybe think about like a brief message that you could send that's just something along the lines of like, I miss you. I think the wedding was probably really hard on both of us. I would love to talk sometime if you feel up for it and I hope you're doing well. You know, don't try to litigate everything in this message and don't present it as like, I want to get mad at you or I want to demand an explanation from you immediately. But something that communicates both like, I'm sad and I miss you. I think you're probably also sad and you might miss me. If you want to talk, I'm available to talk. And give her that just like little step in a direction towards her and see if she responds. If she doesn't, then you can let yourself grieve the loss of this friendship. But I would even in that situation, I would encourage you to like, 
try to leave some door in your heart open and just say like, she lost her partner. And that doesn't mean I have to like everything she did in the next year, but grief doesn't just like fade away after a funeral. And it sometimes like changes the way people interact with the world around them. And it makes them feel incapable of certain conversations that they used to find relatively easy and just have some patience, even if you don't necessarily resume the friendship. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth reaching out. And I also just felt like the fact that this was the friend's partner Mm -hmm. um, and then this was a wedding, like it just seemed really connected to me. So this is like the friend's partner of five years. So a relationship of that length, like maybe they would have thought of getting married, actually. Right. So here are you having, yes, a once in a lifetime event, but this is something that your friend will never be able to do with her boyfriend, um, no matter how much she may have wanted to. So I can just really understand the friend feeling kind of avoidant or just not able to touch the idea of wedding so soon. We're talking like just before Christmas 2021. So it's like within three months of her partner, five years death. Mm -hmm. I just feel like a wedding would kind of be like an atomic bomb in that moment for someone in deep in their grief. And I think, I think it would be good to give this friend a little bit of grace and, and I don't know that it's even connected with the flakiness in the past. Like, that seems like it could be a whole other thing. Right. I, I think that's really wise to separate. Like, maybe you should have addressed some of that stuff in the past and you didn't. Yeah. But don't incorporate that into this thing. Yeah, this thing is really like a unique situation. And I think it's super common in grief to feel like struck by the milestones that you are not going to be able to have with that person. So this is a huge one. I'm glad you mentioned that because I hadn't been quite clear on the timeline because I'm not great with numbers and I always forget Christmas is the end <laughs> of the year. So I was thinking this was like a year later, but this was this was two months later. It was two months. And this is an, a four-month engagement as well. So yeah. it's like kind of all happening in a whirlwind. And not that there's anything wrong with getting married after four months, but from the friend's perspective, like she had this five-year relationship And she'll never get to be married to that person. Whereas her best friend has had a really brief connection and gone for it and they're getting married. And I can just imagine the struggle of, I can, I can never have this in, in the non-response of the friend. And again, like, I think sometimes people really struggle with saying difficult things to someone they love. I get why you would have hoped that she would have told you. But I want you to let that go. I got to say, I think who within three months of a bereavement like that is going to be able to pick up the phone of their own volition and say, I've thought about it and I'm too sad to go to your wedding. That requires so much like ability to articulate, you know, immediate caustic grief, ability to make a plan to think outside of just your immediate pain, be willing to say something that you're worried might hurt a friend's feelings, like... And like she did say, she said she wasn't feeling up to going to the bachelorette party, but I got to imagine that she would also feel like she was letting you down by not going to the wedding. So that's also probably like a hard conversation for her. Yeah. And I I think letter writer, you know, I know it's not necessarily useful to go back in time and try to think about what you could have done, but 
I think maybe a loving thing would have been to do would to say to her when she said, I can't go to the bachelorette party, it would just be, of course, I understand you will be deeply missed, but that makes so much sense to me. I will assume that you also don't feel up for going to the wedding unless you tell me otherwise, just so you know, you don't have to opt out. It's opt in for you. I'm not going to like pressure you. I'm just letting you know in advance. Like that would have been a nice kind of like Rebecca and Eliezer at the well of just like, I will not only Mm -hmm. like water, give you water, I will water your camels also. Like you could have, I think, taken that information and done a little like empathy extrapolation. You're not a monster for not doing that. You're not bad for having an expectation or a hope. I just think that might have been a lovely gesture. Um, It's hard to meet somebody in the middle when you are celebrating a wedding and they are in the middle of bereavement. That's, you know, it's always difficult with like even uh, in ordinary time to to meet in the middle uh, of a friendship. But those are two pretty far apart episodes in a person's life. And so I, I just really think that for all that, of course, you want your best friend at your wedding, your wedding's one day of your life. You're going to, you know, you say you hope it's the only time you get married. So presumably you're planning on being married to this guy for the rest of your life, which means you'll have lots of opportunities for your friend to meet him and to get mm-hmm. to know him and to spend time with the two of you as a couple. It's not like this magic, irretrievable day that if someone's not there, it can never be redeemed. And I don't mean to say that to say like, fuck a wedding day. It's not important. I just mean, don't let it become so important that it gets in the way of the relationship. Yeah, it would be a shame to lose a friendship of 20 years over something like this. And I also feel like like the the letter writer you ask, is it okay to be hurt? I think it, it is still okay to be hurt. Like, I think it's okay to be sad. Yeah, or like, you could even be hurt, but like it, you're kind of hurt over grief, not hurt by your friend's like personal animus towards you. Yeah. I mean, I, I get being sad. I, I want you to let go of the hurt and to just, you know, put yourself in her shoes. Like mm-hmm. imagine if your husband dropped dead tomorrow and then a month and a half later, you were supposed to go to a bachelorette party, didn't feel up to it. And then a month after that, you were supposed to go to a wedding. Like imagine would you really feel so clear-headed and like together that you'd want to pick up the phone and say, I won't be able to attend. I'm feeling like the world just ripped out my tongue. Yeah. You know, that's that's just a lot. So I would just encourage you to be gentle with your own sadness, but also to be really open-minded towards her sadness um, and to not go to her with like the first fruits of your sad. You know what I mean? Like process your sadness elsewhere, write about it in your journal, talk about it with your partner. And then when you do reach out to her, you can acknowledge that you missed her and you were sad, but don't go into a lot of details beyond that. Don't do the whole, and I looked for you in the back row and I didn't see you and it really hurt me. Like this is not an irretrievable loss. Now, if all of this sounds like, I don't think I'm up for it. I don't want to reach out to her. I don't want to hear more about how sad she is. I hope that's not your reaction, but if it is, then probably the kindest thing you can do for her is leave her alone. That's true. I mean, there may be other things here. Like we know about a little bit of flakiness, but I don't know anything else about this friendship. So yeah, if you're not feeling, I can only imagine that this friend probably still needs someone to be there for her because grief is a long process. So if you're not feeling up for that, then yeah, it might not be the time to reach out yet. Right. That was my thought too. Like if the letter writer just wants to say, I hurt because you weren't there, can you make it up to me? And also I'm I'm ready for you to be done grieving. 
it would probably cause more harm than good to reach out again. And so in that case, I would encourage the letter writer to just like keep a respectful and loving distance. But man, if you can see your way towards, you know, think of your own like wedding and your celebration as like a banquet. And if you can keep a chair open for grief at your banquet, I think that will serve you well in your life because there are very few moments or seasons in life that are not marked by loss and grief. Like that that happens a lot. It comes around again. People you love will die. And I wonder too, maybe maybe letter writer, you haven't lost anyone very close to you or you haven't been very close with someone who's going through that kind of loss. So this is like a little first glimpse, perhaps, I don't know, but mm-hmm. perhaps a glimpse into what that can be like. And, and yeah, just like leave a lot of space for that. And at some point in our lives, all of us will need a lot of space to grieve. So I think this is an, an opportunity to pass that out and hopefully you'll receive it back in your own time. Yeah, and and to really like not assign this the kind of weight that you did previous flakiness, which again, like might have been frustrating or upsetting and it just it does not belong in this conversation. And, you know, if your family is saying this is part of her character and you should forget about her, I hope your family is not normally that harsh towards people, but whether or not they are, I would say that they're being pretty harsh in this. And, and that is perhaps not to their credit that they are saying this about a woman who just lost her partner of five years. Um, so maybe maybe encourage them to like be slightly more compassionate. Um, maybe reprimand them a little bit. I don't think you should forget her because she doesn't care about you. I think that would be selfish. So the question of like, should I put her needs first and keep seeing if she is okay you know, the question is like, do you feel prepared to reach out to her with love and compassion for the possibility that you might both be sad and hurting and that her hurting is on a different scale than yours? That doesn't mean that yours doesn't exist or isn't real, but hers is on a different scale. And if you can't accept that, if you want to say, nope, these need to be the same weight, don't do it. But, you know, I, I do wonder, to me, this letter kind of hinges on, I hate seeing her in pain. She only writes on social media how she misses her partner. And what you said a minute ago, Alyssa, about how maybe this letter writer has not yet experienced profound loss. I think sometimes when someone has not yet lost someone very close to them to death or has not like had a big rupture in their life and they see somebody else in pain and that pain doesn't get better pretty quickly, they get really scared. Mm -hmm. And they think like, this is too much. This isn't how life is supposed to be. You should be getting better. I don't want to feel a lack of compassion, but I feel itchy and impatient. And like, I want to get away from here. It's kind of like when people say they hate hospitals. It's like, oh, I personally don't like suffering, sickness, and death. And it's like, well, nobody does. Nobody does. And yet they come. And yet here they show up at your door anyways. Yeah. And so- to me, it's like you can try to opt out of hospitals. You can try to avoid people whose grief strikes you as ostentatious, but eventually those griefs will come for you and you will find that you want not to be abandoned yourself. And I don't say that to be like, and you abandoned her. It's like, I get it. Things kind of devolved in a number of complicated ways, but like, this is not a skinned knee that gets better in a few months. And, um, I hope you can find more patience for suffering because life will bring you more suffering. This is getting very... Yeah. Yeah, it's getting deep. <laughs> I'm um, being very like sermony. I'm just like <laughs> preaching at this point. I get it. Grief is sometimes boring and awful. And that's another reason why sometimes people get avoidant when they're in grief because they're like, I'm sick of feeling this way. I don't right. want to bother other people with it. And that's partly why I think that kind of compassion and anticipatory empathy is so important. Yeah. And I think like, 
a lot of other kinds of sadness kind of pass more quickly, but losing someone to death, like it's so final. It can be so sudden. It sounds like it was sudden in this case. Like that is a long, long process. And I think our like general culture kind of under acknowledges how long it takes to process that and start to feel even a little bit better. So yeah, I think... I th- I like the sermon. I think it was totally appropriate, basically. <laughs> yeah. I am really excited, by the way, for our next letter because it uses a phrase that I have not seen in a little while. And it also gets yes. used in a way that suggests that perhaps the letter writer doesn't quite mean it. Maybe, but then the letter writer picked that name. Yeah, I was curious about the use of scare quotes there because it was like, are you quoting someone or or do you just think that it's like open to interpretation whether your roommate is or isn't an energy vampire or do you just not understand the use of quotes? Maybe it's for emphasis. I don't know, but if you're using the name Carlotta... Aren't for then, emphasis? You no, know, they're not. I know they're not, but some people think they're, they are. You've seen huh? that before, right? I don't think so. I guess that oh, does explain so many some handwritten weird signs. signs. Yeah. Yes, handwritten signs that are I like, think that please emphatic. don't do this thing. We buy ugly houses and it's like right. buy is in quote marks. <laughs> yes. I guess that's what it is. That's what it is, I think. But I really think though, if you're calling this person Carlotta, then you absolutely think she's a vampire because oh. that's like the top vampire name of in fairness, that was me because it was oh, originally was just, you. we'll call her S. And I hate it. Not, I, I don't hate it. But when people are like, oh, we'll call someone an initial. I'm like, that means not, that's not a person. I can't picture a person. So I, I put in I put in the name uh, Carlotta. I think because I got this letter on the day that they announced that Phantom of the Opera was closing on Broadway. Um, ah. So I was thinking of Carlotta from Phantom of the Opera. Carlotta vampires. Okay. Got I mean, you. she's like a diva. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's not a vampire officially. Anyways, this is a lot of lead-in. I feel like uh, I should just read this letter and then we'll figure out how we feel about it. Sounds good. So the subject is, please shush. I am struggling to maintain boundaries with my, quote, energy vampire, unquote, roommate, who we'll call Carlotta. We met through mutual friends several years ago and have been living together for four years. Before the pandemic, Carlotta had a large network of friends through her karaoke community. Between working and singing, she seemed busy and happy. Her local karaoke bar closed during COVID, and over time, she lost consistent contact with fellow singers. This seems to have taken a real toll on her happiness, understandably. And on top of that, her job has become stressful and demoralizing. I seem to be her only close relationship outside of her family. Every night, she comes home and unloads about her stressful day. That's fine, and I'm happy to lend an ear when I can, but she doesn't pick up on cues that indicate I'm done listening. Changing the subject or turning away from her seemed to do nothing as she continues to rattle on about a mean colleague or a mealy apple. My only respite is putting on headphones and announcing that I must get some work done or just hiding out in my room. What's more is that she shows very little interest in my life. I recently returned from vacation and hadn't even put my things down before she started walking me through her day. When I tried to share about my trip, she quickly brought back the conversation to herself. How do I tell her that I can't deal with her tendency to monopolize the conversation? I can't continue to let this resentment grow. So I was just wondering, like, 
just just tell her. Tell her one time. It doesn't sound like the letter writer you've ever had this conversation with Carlotta. Like, you just have to tell her. That's all I have to say. Yeah, I feel bad because I know in our first letter, I was really encouraging the letter writer to, like, anticipate somebody else's needs and to, like, exercise anticipatory empathy. And I do think that there's value in that. So I don't want to sound like too much of a hypocrite when I just then like in a flip situation say like, just say what you want. Um, But those are like pretty extenuating circumstances, right? Like a recently bereaved best friend. And yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, is she an energy vampire or have you literally never told her that this bothers you? Yeah. I don't want to get too like pop psychology, Twitter, like hint culture versus ask culture. But this mm-hmm. this whole thing of like, I try all these hints and she never responds to hints. So I keep trying hints and she never responds to my hints. And it's like, yeah, hinting's not working here, man. Try something else. Yeah. And like, there's a ton of resentment here. Like a mean colleague or Amelia Apple, like you've obviously like gone on for so long and obviously the pandemic being trapped inside and everything, like it's a long time. It's a lot, but like, have you ever had this conversation? Because it really sounds like you have not. Yeah. And like, I'm struggling to maintain boundaries. It's just like, I don't think maintain is a word here. Like you've never told her to stop. Yeah, And there's so much room in between hinting and screaming at someone like you're a selfish piece of shit. Never talk to me again. That I just feel like you have so much room to maneuver here because you have literally never had this conversation with her. And I, I get like, my sort of feeling was between the living situation and the fact that like Carlotta is really into karaoke. My sense was like, maybe these people are on the younger side, like, Mm -hmm. and, and maybe like comes from a context of like close friendships is where you never say no to anyone. And you're always dropping hints that the other one should pick up on. And then you never have to establish a boundary because you're always constantly like staring at each other's faces for secret signals. And I'm familiar with that type of friendship. And it certainly has its, it's, benefits and upsides, but it's also not the only way to interact with people. And I think you're so worried that you have to have this big come to Jesus moment with her about her character when really you just need to say like, hey, we've been talking about work a lot. Uh, I actually need to take a break. Do you mind if we talk about something else? Or I need a little peace and quiet right now to decompress. Do you mind if I let you know later when I'm up for chatting again? Or even like a little more like kind of referencing the overall situation. Like, hey, I've been feeling like you talk about your problems with work a lot with me. I think it's a little bit too much for me, but I would also love to talk about my problems a little bit with you. Like, can we kind of rebalance like how much time we're spending listening to each other so we can both feel heard? Yeah, I'd like you to ask me questions. She might, and again, I don't mean to say like Carlotta's been behaving perfectly and she's an angel. I just mean like, it's certainly possible that she thinks like, you know, my roommate, you know, she would tell me about her day if it was important to her and uh, she would behave as I behave. And so the fact that she's not doing this tells me that she's happy with the dynamic here. And again, that doesn't mean like she's an angel and she's right about everything. Just like it's possible for her to have that read of the situation without being like a selfish cow. And I mean cow in the British sense, sorry. Um, Like without being an asshole. And, And then again, like ask yourself, do you want her to ask you a lot of questions about your day or do you just want to be roommates? Like, do you want to, you know, just encourage her to talk a little bit less rather than I want more give and take? Like, that's a real question that you should ask yourself. Yeah, before you have that conversation, like, do you want to ask for, like, let's just talk less in the evening? Um, I just need some quiet at night. That's a fair request of a roommate as well. 
Yeah. Or just like, you know what? We've been talking about your day a lot. I'd like to stop. Um, yeah. That's allowed. That's not evil. That's not mean. That's not like striking her totally. on the face and telling her she's a piece of shit. And just, you know, if if you notice it again after you've brought it up once, just like neutrally but firmly draw her attention to it. Like, oh, hey, you know, we've just been talking about you for a half hour. I want to talk about something else. Or I'd like you to ask me a question. Or if you don't want her to ask you a question, I'd like to go watch TV. Um, yeah. These are normal, appropriate things to say to a roommate. You don't have to tiptoe around them just because she's lost her like karaoke buddies. Just say them without shame or apprehension. I do think you're right, Danny. Like, I think you might have to have this conversation more than once, especially if they've been living together for four years, like, and the pandemic's been going on for a good solid half of that time. So this is a pretty established pattern. So yeah, you might have to like have one talk and then kind of go like, oh, hey, actually you're doing that thing again. Um, We did talk about you for the last half hour. So can we switch to me or can we shift gears and do something else? Like you might have to kind of reinforce it over time. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is a dynamic that's been going on for four years and she has not previously thought there was an issue with it. So even if you have like a great response from her and she's like, mortified and and really tries to change, she'll probably need occasional help like recalibrating. And again, the question there is just for you, do you want to be close with her or do you mostly just feel guilty that she doesn't have other friends and you want to be nice? Like, do you want to keep living with her? Do you think of her as a friend? Like it's, I think you should, regardless of what kind of relationship you want from her in the future, you should absolutely be talking to her about how much she complains to you. But then you should also really say like, do I care about her in kind? Do I want to stay close friends? And if so, how do I want to push for more reciprocity in our conversations versus I just think of her as like a mostly congenial roommate. And once we get this thing handled, I want to be sure that I establish more quiet time for myself, but I'm not trying to like invest more deeply back in her because that would be fine too. It's really just a question of, do you want to live with her for another four years? Um, and even if you don't, I think there's good ways to wrap things up besides just, I'm always putting on my headphones and avoiding a slightly tricky conversation. And then I move out. I mean, I guess that is there as kind of like a last resort option, right? Like if you can't resolve this or you bring it up with her and she's really like reactionary or like doesn't, isn't able to like have that conversation with you or make any changes, then you do have that as an option as well. Like you can always find a different living situation. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you don't have to bring up that you've noticed that she seems to have lost a lot of her friends. You don't have to fix her job situation. You know, again, if you do feel close to her and you do think of her as a friend, you might later also have a conversation and kind of inquire, like, how are you doing generally? It seems like you've been down a lot. Do you want to try to make changes? Do you want to like look for a therapist? But Only if you feel like, no, this is a friendship that means a lot to me. If it's really just she thinks of me as a close friend and I think of her as an energy vampire roommate, then the kindest thing you can do is be pretty clear about your boundaries and not lead her to believe you feel the same way. And that's really hard. It's really hard when someone thinks you're really close and you think of them as like a neutral to annoying presence in your life. And I think there it's always tricky to figure out like what's an appropriate level of honesty versus like what's unnecessarily cruel. Yeah. I mean, and this may actually be a time to avoid giving advice because you may not want her to come to you for that. Right. Because it would involve more like talking to you about her life and you might not want to do that. But I would say from now on, 
Don't just change the subject or turn away or put on your headphones. Take those off the table. Always just say, again, briefly, neutrally, but always be clear when you want to stop listening to her vent. Yeah. Yeah. And you could be super friendly about it too. It can be like, hey, like, thank you for telling me about your day. I actually don't have any more time. I'm going to go sit in my room now. Or like, can I tell you about mine? It's my turn, right? Like, yeah. you can you can just be super clear and super casual um, to start with, at least. Yeah, and, you know, it will also serve you well in future relationships with other roommates or friends or colleagues. Or partners. Um, yeah, because, like, this is probably going to come up again at some point in your life. You're going to drop a hint that to you feels super clear and to someone else does not. And you will feel like, whoa, 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 if that were me, I would be acting super rudely. And you have to remind yourself, this isn't me. This does not fall under the category of the one universal good way to behave. Um, People have different relationships to hints. And not everyone picks up on hints. And if I want the thing that I'm hinting about, I'm going to now have to like politely escalate. And just ask for what you actually need very specifically. That's true. This is actually like a great learning opportunity Um, and that time to kind of like build yourself some new communication skills that are going to serve you well in all kinds of relationships. Yeah. I mean, Lord knows I have appreciated a a close friend who picks up on a hint when I have offered it, but you got to have a backup plan for when the hint doesn't work because the hint doesn't work at least 40% of the time. Yeah. You need something else as well as the hint. You need more than one strategy. Yeah, yeah, you got to have a backup um, because if you try to go through life relying only on hints, uh, you know, at best, you're going to have like a very specific of a network of people that you can get along with and a lot of other confused, irritating encounters. Yes, yeah. And it may not even be like that you're incompatible with those other people who are around you. They just don't actually know what you want or need because they can't read your hints. Right, and again, like you might feel like they should. You might feel like I wish that she did. I get that. But like you, you do then have to come back to reality and say, well, like, well, the hint didn't work. Changing the subject didn't work. So now I do have to try something else instead of like the gym halpertization of your relationship where you're like, I'm just going to like quietly play to the camera and like put on my headphones and imagine a camera's watching me that I can like make significant eye contact with. There is no yes. camera. Nobody is witnessing this. There's no like invisible judge totting up all the times that you made a reasonable good hint and she was oblivious saying like, wow, you really have earned the right to be resentful here. Release that fantasy because it will just, it'll kill you. It'll just, yeah, it'll, it'll create these situations. Yeah. And, you know, not to like be too hard on the letter writer because like, you know, these things sound like signals that I hope I would mostly pick up on, but it's just also like, Signals that make perfect sense in your own head make sense because you have your own train of thought to go along with them, your own internal sense of when you got frustrated. Like they make perfect sense to you because you have the code book that accompanies them. Oftentimes with other people give us hints, it feels like, whoa, that was weird. I thought things were going great. And so because you don't have access to the inside of other people's heads in the way that you do yours. Yeah, or like some of these might just be like turning away from her. I I don't know. I can imagine lots of roommate conversations where you're both turning away from each other regularly and just doing stuff around the house and it doesn't interrupt the conversation at all. Like some of your hints may just be completely like missing her. Yeah. And just again, like don't get stuck in that should have worked 
or like a more reasonable person would have gotten it because you live in a world where she didn't get it. And so you've got to try something else. And I think I feel so invested in this one because like I remember my own 20s and my own like secure conviction, as did all of my uh, my own roommates share, which was like, you should know what I mean when I do this. And we all felt that very strongly about ourselves. And we all felt very hurt and misunderstood when the others didn't pick up on our signals. And it was just like, I shouldn't have to have this like mildly not friendly, com- not even not friendly, like this mildly contentious, you know, it's not, it's not universal. Like mildly unpleasant. Or just, yeah, we're not all agreeing. Like any yeah. conversation that's not all of us saying, yes, I agree. Me too. You're right. I'm the same is like horrible fighting to the death. And it's just like, no, it's not. No, you need like a little bit of like, it's not even conflict, actually. It's just like, yeah, a little bit of stating your needs. It goes it's so It's just being far. two different people. Yeah, being exactly. Being two different people and being able to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, this like just really felt like addressing a version of myself in my early 20s who oh, I... I also recognize myself in here for sure. Like letter writer, don't get me wrong. Like I've also been you. Yeah, I really do. I, you know, I get it. I've been there. And especially with roommates, just like if you're especially like coming out of, you know, 18 years or more potentially of living at home where you do things one way, and now you have a new home with someone who was raised in a different context and they don't, it's like when you first have a sleepover with a friend and you're like, your house smells different. You have slightly different rules about the pantry. What's going on here? Like, <laughs> why are you wrong? Why aren't you like where I'm from? Uh, it's just like, it's hard to let go of that. It is. It is. And sometimes you don't even know you're holding on to it. Cause, and I don't, I, I felt reading this like letter writer, you maybe hadn't even considered the possibility of like, oh, hey, like, can we talk about me now? Like, that's a possibility. You have that available to you. Right. Like, and sometimes then the thing that can be holding you back is either, well, I shouldn't have to. Like, it will somehow be worth less than if she had anticipated my needs. And like that, I shouldn't have to is going to get in the way of a lot of peace and joy if you let it. Yes. And also like asking for something and receiving it is also super satisfying. Yeah. And like, I shouldn't have to because I've been reading her cues and I want her to do the same thing for me. But it's like, then just tell her to look for your cues. Like, it's really not that hard. Don't don't get in the way of your own, like, pleasant home. And you can even, to somebody you've known for four years, I think you need to be able to sometimes, like, gently but lovingly say, like, hey, I, I love you to death, but just, I don't care about this apple. You got to let it go. Yeah. And that would be completely reasonable. And it might even be welcome. Like, that's the other thing about people who don't pick up on hints super fast. Sometimes they are actually fine with and prefer bluntness. Yeah. Yeah. And just these are some of the mildest forms of bluntness that you can acquire. So don't worry that like by taking this advice, you are committing yourself to a life of just constantly barking at people. Here's what I want. Do it or don't. No. Um, this is not uh, like a push in the direction of like constantly yelling. No. Just just a tiny little bit of blindness. Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Just a teeny, teeny bit. Um, I bet you're great at it now. When did it change for you? When did you um, age out of uh, your 20s roommate whispering? Oh, um, I mean, I'm not always perfect at it. I think I like, I've had some very blunt professional relationships. I've worked for some people who are very like, 
I don't like the way you did this and I'm going to shout at you about it. And I I discovered through that that those people tend to respond really well to like, oh, okay, I'm going to fix it. But like, this is also why I did that and just very direct communication. Um, and I think like that's probably the first time in life that I realized like, oh, I could just say exactly what I'm thinking and then they would know and we could communicate about it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm really, really glad to hear that uh, you have been able to grow out of that phase of your life. It gives me hope that I will continue to grow out of uh, that phase of my life. Although never so much that I want to become a sales rep. I think there I want to draw the line. Oh, no. I mean, I I would never either. When you were talking about the sales rep as well, the phrase that kept like just repeating in my head, like a screaming, like horror movie is the phrase cold call, which is like, oh my God, the worst thing that anyone could ever ask a person to do. So like, don't get me wrong. I'm not like up in people's faces either, but yeah. it's yeah. just Go it's shadow good to have a the sales options. rep for a day and then you'll be able to talk briskly oh, with your roommate. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, well... Hopefully that's not going to happen to anyone. Uh, and of course, if you are a sales rep who listens to this show, how do you do it? But also don't tell me. I'm not that interested. Um, <laughs> be well, but leave me alone. Um, Alyssa, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. And I hope you get to uh, take a long nap before your next shift. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was really fun to give some advice, especially advice that was asked for. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I think you have a lot of freedom here, letter writer. You could certainly tell like individual relatives like, hey, just so you know, like I still like hugs. Hugging is not something that I'm looking to leave behind. I would enjoy still hugging each other once in a while. You could also say it in front of the group. It 100% just depends on what sounds best to you. I guess maybe it could be interesting to ask some of the men in your family like how they feel about that. Do they wish they got hugs too? Um, Like maybe before you kind of bring it up as a larger issue, it might be interesting to know how other people are feeling about that. Yeah. And like, obviously, you know, my hope is like, and you'll start a revolution in your family and soon everyone will be affectionate in a consistent way, regardless of like, you know, whether somebody's a boy or girl. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.